Chapter 1 The Mountains of California. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please contact LibriVox.org. Recording by Robert Garrison. For more information on this reader, please visit climber53.com. The Mountains of California by John Muir, 1894. Chapter 1 The Sierra Nevada. Go where you may within the bounds of California, mountains are ever in sight, charming and glorifying every landscape. Yet so simple and massive is the topography of the state in general views that the main central portion displays only one valley and two chains of mountains which seem almost perfectly regular in trend and height. The coast range on the west side, the Sierra Nevada on the east. These two ranges coming together in curves on the north and south enclose a magnificent basin with a level floor more than 400 miles long, and from 35 to 60 miles wide. This is the Grand Central Valley of California, the waters of which have only one outlet to the sea through the Golden Gate. But with this general simplicity of features there is great complexity of hidden detail. The coast range, rising as a grand green barrier against the ocean, from 2,000 to 8,000 feet high, is composed of innumerable forest-crowned spurs, ridges, and rolling hill waves which enclose a multitude of smaller valleys, some looking out through long forest-lined vistas to the sea, others, with but few trees, to the central valley, while a thousand others, yet smaller, are embosomed and concealed in mild, round-browed hills each with its own climate, soil, and productions. Making your way through the mazes of the coast range to the summit of any of the inner peaks or passes opposite San Francisco in the clear springtime, the grandest and most telling of all California landscapes is outspread before you. At your feet lies the great central valley, glowing golden in the sunshine, extending north and south farther than the eye can reach, one smooth, flowery, lake-like bed of fertile soil. Along its eastern margins rises the mighty Sierra, miles in height, reposing like a smooth, cumulus cloud in the sunny sky, and so gloriously colored and so luminous, it seems to be not clothed with light, but wholly composed of it like the wall of some celestial city. Along the top, and extending a good way down, you see a pale pearl-gray belt of snow, and below it a belt of blue and dark purple, marking the extension of the forests, and along the base of the range a broad belt of rose-purple and yellow, where lie the miner's gold fields and the foothill gardens. All these colored belts blending smoothly make a wall of light ineffably fine, and as beautiful as a rainbow, yet firm as adamant, 
When I first enjoyed this superb view, one glowing April day from the summit of Pacheco Pass, the central valley, but little trampled or plowed as yet, was one furred rich sheet of golden composite, and the luminous wall of the mountain shone in all its glory. Then it seemed to me the Sierra should be called not the Nevada, or snowy range, but the range of light. And after ten years spent in the heart of it, rejoicing and wondering, bathing in its glorious floods of light, seeing the sunbursts of morning among the icy peaks, the noonday radiance on the trees and rocks and snow, the flush of the alpenglow, and a thousand dashing waterfalls with their marvelous abundance of irised spray, it still seems to me, above all others, the range of light, the most divinely beautiful of all the mountain chains I have ever seen. The Sierra is about 500 miles long, 70 miles wide, and from 7,000 to nearly 15,000 feet high. In general views, no mark of man is visible on it, nor anything to suggest the richness of the life it cherishes, or the depth and grandeur of its sculpture. None of its magnificent forest-crowned ridges rises much above the general level to publish its wealth. No great valley or lake is seen, or river, or group of well-marked features of any kind, standing out in distinct pictures. Even the summit peaks, so clear and high in the sky, seem comparatively smooth and featureless. Nevertheless, glaciers are still at work in the shadows of the peaks, and thousands of lakes and meadows shine and bloom beneath them, and the whole range is furrowed with canyons to a depth of from 2,000 to 5,000 feet, in which once flowed majestic glaciers, and in which now flow and sing a band of beautiful rivers. Though of such stupendous depth, these famous canyons are not raw, gloomy, jagged-walled gorges, savage and inaccessible, with rough passages here and there they still make delightful pathways for the mountaineer, conducting from the fertile lowlands to the highest icy fountains, as a kind of mountain streets full of charming life and light, graded and sculptured by the ancient glaciers, and presenting, throughout all their courses, a rich variety of novel and attractive scenery, the most attractive that has yet been discovered in the mountain ranges of the world. In many places, especially in the middle region of the western flank of the range, the main canyons widen into spacious valleys or parks, diversified like artificial landscape gardens with charming groves and meadows, and thickets of blooming bushes, while the lofty retiring walls, infinitely varied in form and sculpture, are fringed with ferns, flowering plants of many species, oaks and evergreens, which find anchorage on a thousand narrow steps and benches, while the whole is enlivened and made glorious with rejoicing streams that come dancing and foaming over the sunny brows of the cliffs to join the shining river that flows in tranquil beauty down the middle of each one of them. The walls of these park valleys of the Yosemite kind are made up of rock mountains in size, partly separated from each other by narrow gorges and side canyons, and they are so sheer in front and so compactly built together on a level floor that, comprehensively seen, 
The parks they enclose look like immense halls or temples lighted from above. Every rock seems to glow with life. Some lean back in majestic repose. Others, absolutely sheer, or nearly so, for thousands of feet, advance their brows in thoughtful attitudes beyond their companions, giving welcome to storms and calms alike, seemingly conscious yet heedless of everything going on about them. Awful in stern majesty, types of permanence, yet associated with beauty of the frailest and most fleeting forms. Their feet set in pine groves and gay emerald meadows, their brows in the sky, bathed in light, bathed in floods of singing water, while snow clouds, avalanches, and the winds shine and surge and wreathe about them as the years go by, as if into these mountain mansions nature had taken pains to gather her choicest treasures to draw her lovers into close and confiding communion with her. Here, too, in the middle region of deepest canyons, are the grandest forest trees, the sequoia, king of conifers, the noble sugar and yellow pines, Douglas spruce, libocedrus, and the silver firs, each a giant of its kind, assembled together in one and the same forest, surpassing all other coniferous forests in the world, both in the number of its species and in the size and beauty of its trees. The winds flow in melody through their colossal spires, and they are vocal everywhere with the songs of birds and running water. Miles of fragrant ceanothus and manzanita bushes bloom beneath them, and lily gardens and meadows, and damp ferny glens and endless variety of fragrance and color, compelling the admiration of every observer. Sweeping on over ridge and valley, these noble trees extend a continuous belt from end to end of the range, only slightly interrupted by sheer-walled canyons at intervals of about fifteen and twenty miles. Here the great burly brown bears delight to roam, harmonizing with the brown boles of the trees beneath which they feed. Deer also dwell here, and find food and shelter in the Ceanothus tangles, with a multitude of smaller people. Above this region of giants, the trees grow smaller until the utmost limit of the timberline is reached on the stormy mountain slopes, at a height of from ten to twelve thousand feet above the sea, where the dwarf pine is so lowly and hard beset by storms and heavy snow, it is pressed into flat tangles, over the tops of which we may easily walk. Below the main forest belt the trees likewise diminish in size, frost and burning drought repressing and blasting alike. The rose-purple zone along the base of the range comprehends nearly all the famous gold region of California. And here it was that miners from every country under the sun assembled in a wild torrent-like rush to seek their fortunes. On the banks of every river, ravine, and gully they have left their marks. Every gravel and boulder bed has been desperately riddled over and over again. But in this region the pick and shovel, once wielded with savage enthusiasm, have been laid away, and only quartz mining is now being carried on to any considerable extent. The zone in general is made up of low, tawny, 
waving foothills, roughened here and there with brush and trees, and outcropping masses of slate colored gray and red with lichens. The smaller masses of slate, rising abruptly from the dry, grassy sod in leaning slabs, looked like ancient tombstones in a deserted burying ground. In early spring, say from February to April, the whole of this foothill belt is a paradise of bees and flowers. Refreshing rains then fall freely, birds are busy building their nests, and the sunshine is balmy and delightful. But by the end of May, the soil, plants, and sky seem to have been baked in an oven. Most of the plants crumble to dust beneath the foot, and the ground is full of cracks, while the thirsty traveler gazes with eager longing through the burning glare to the snowy summits, looming like hazy clouds in the distance. The trees, mostly Quercus douglasi and Pinus sabiniana, thirty to forty feet high, with thin, pale green foliage, stand far apart and cast but little shade. Lizards glide about on the rocks, enjoying a constitution that no drought can dry, and ants in amazing numbers, whose tiny sparks of life seem to burn the brighter with the increasing heat, ramble industriously in long trains in search of food. Crows, ravens, magpies, friends in distress, gather on the ground beneath the best shade trees, panting with drooping wings and bills wide open, scarce a note from any of them during the midday hours. Quails, too, seek the shade during the heat of the day about tepid pools in the channels of the large mid-river streams. Rabbits scurry from thicket to thicket among the ceanothus bushes, and occasionally a long-eared hare is seen cantering gracefully across the wider openings. The nights are calm and dewless during the summer, and a thousand voices proclaim the abundance of life, notwithstanding the desolating effect of dry sunshine on the plants and larger animals. The hylas make a delightfully pure and tranquil music after sunset, and coyotes, the little despised dogs of the wilderness, brave, hardy fellows looking like withered wisps of hay, bark in chorus for hours. Mining towns, most of them dead, and a few living ones with bright bits of cultivation about them, occur at long intervals along the belt, and cottages covered with climbing roses in the midst of orange and peach orchards, and sweet-scented hayfields and fertile flats where water for irrigation may be had. But they are mostly far apart, and make scarce any mark in general views. Every winter the high Sierra in the middle forest region gets snow in glorious abundance, and even the foothills are at times whitened. Then all the range looks like a vast beveled wall of purest marble. The rough places are then made smooth, the death and decay of the year is covered gently and kindly, and the ground seems as clean as the sky. And though silent in its flight from the clouds, and when it is taking its place on rock or tree or grassy meadow, how soon the gentle snow finds a voice. Slipping from the heights, gathering in avalanches, it booms and roars like thunder, and makes a glorious show as it sweeps down the mountainside, arrayed in long silken streamers and wreathing swirling films of crystal dust. 